The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Wake up, everyone. It's time for the Steve Noble Show, where biblical Christianity meets the everyday issues of life in your home, at work, and even in politics. Steve is an ordinary man who believes in an extraordinary God. And on his show, there's plenty of grace and lots of truth, but no sacred cows. Call Steve now at 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Or check him out online at thestevenobleshow.com. And now, here's your host, Steve Noble. I don't know if you saw the breaking news today. If you saw that on Twitter or TikTok, I have no idea why you'd be on TikTok. Or uh, Fox News, CNN. Maybe it came across your Yahoo News feed. I I don't know. Did Did you see it? Did you hear Uh, The breaking news. No, it's not about the 10,000 illegal aliens that came across the border yesterday. Look for that number to start uh, jumping up, skyrocketing, as a matter of fact. Uh, Tonight at uh, midnight when Title 42 uh, is no longer. So it's not that. It wasn't that uh, strange Trump phenomenon yesterday, last night, when he did a town hall event for about an hour and 20 minutes on CNN, of all places. uh, No, it's not that. It's not the uh, Biden crime family. Uh, taking at this point, it looks like about $10 million went to nine different members of the Biden family. So it's not that. That's not the breaking news. The big breaking news is uh, God is dead. Now, the question is, who killed him? Is it uh, is it Darwin? Did Darwin kill him in 1859? Did Nietzsche kill him? Did the Enlightenment kill him? Uh, maybe we killed him. Uh, but the whole notion of uh, God being dead, which we've seen on new magazine covers. If you saw the movie Jesus Revolution, they showed the famous Time magazine cover that said, is God dead? A couple of years later, they, the cover was Jesus Revolution. Interesting turn there. <clears throat> and then, of course, Nietzsche's statement, God is dead. So what's the deal with that? Uh, and how do you even get to the notion that somehow God is dead? How science killed God? Uh, which is essentially bad apologetics. Not my idea to go after the big guy. Not the big guy in the White House, by the way, who gets 10%. We're talking about the big guy, the, capital T, big, capital B, guy, capital G. It's not my idea. It's Dr. Renton Rathbun's idea, of course, the Center for Biblical Worldview at BJU. Uh, And it's Theology Thursday. So, Renton, you're going to have to explain yourself here all about killing God. Good to see you. It was great seeing you in Pigeon Forge. Uh, How you doing? Doing great. It was great seeing you at Pigeon Forge as well. I'm excited about next year with our plan. Yes, our plans for world domination in the homeschool world, which <laughs> would be right. excellent. So, yeah, uh, Renton and I were both at the homeschool convention, the Teach Them Diligently homeschool convention at Pigeon Forge, the Redneck Riviera, uh, just last weekend. So it was great <laughs> seeing you there. Uh, neither one of us heard the other one speak other than, hey, bro, what's going on? And then, uh, <laughs> But other than that, it was great. Great seeing your family as always. Uh, but the whole notion of, of, of how science killed God specifically, uh, let, let's just dive into this because I threw a couple things on the table, whether we're talking about Nietzsche, whether we're talking about the origin of the species, which a lot of people used as a silver bullet to allegedly kill God. And then the Enlightenment in general as we push away uh, from our need for God. So, th- But this is an important topic because functionally for a lot of people in this world, that God is kind of dead. Mm. Yeah, that's right. And so... What I wanted to, to get at was was how it is that Christians may have participated in this idea of God being dead. Um, Co-conspirators. So, yes. So Frederick Nietzsche, um, obviously a lot of a lot of people kind of are kind of familiar with him. He is famous from his work called "The Gay Science," um, where he said those 
those words, God is dead. But um, if you look at that, he's saying God is dead and we have killed him. Now, he was in in that sense, he was talking to people who didn't believe in God, but they were still holding on to things that Christians held on to, like being compassionate, being kind and all that sort of thing. And he said, you need to get rid of all of it. God is dead. Um, but the, the, the whole way he got there started with Christians who wanted to take science and the scientific uh, kind of um, things that they were able to do, especially with Christians being able to conquer certain things in science, take those things and demonstrate how if, if the Bible is true, then we can demonstrate this in creation and show how in creation and in science we can demonstrate the truth of God's word, which was great. Um, I think we still try to do that. I think AIG tries to do that, and that's a good thing. But what happened was the unbelievers said that's not enough. You know, just because you're demonstrating something that if the Bible's true, then it still seems to fit isn't enough. You need to show me how all this science stuff able is able to demonstrate um, not demonstrate, but uh, determine the truth of yeah, God's yeah. word. So, we so don't if you start can with take God and go to science, we start with science to try to get to God. Yes. And the problem is, is that we obliged them and we started to show how there are things in the creational world that then that then determines whether or not the Bible is true. And so people then turn towards towards science to help us say whether or not the Bible is true. And so science became the thing that overshadowed the Bibles. And that's where Nietzsche got in and said, ah, there is something wrong here. You Christians are, you know, you're trying to stand on this objective field and then look back and judge the Bible just like we are. Mm. And it's almost as if he was Satan himself saying, now I got you. Yeah, yeah. You, you can hear the hiss of the snake and all of that. And, and while a lot of us would, uh, just at the beginning of the conversation, say, well, I don't do that. I think a lot of us do. I think whenever, mm. here's a perfect example, or near perfect, if I'm capable of such a thing. Every time you see something come out on Fox News or any other news website about some archaeological finding in the Middle East, <clears throat> mm. uh, something about David or a coin or whatever, I think a lot of Christians go, aha, see? Archaeology is proving that the Bible is true. Yeah, so we're actually right. kind of playing by the same rules that Nietzsche mm -hmm. was playing with. Was that, yes. was that a decent example? That's a great example. I mean, um, if I can even name some names. Please do. You have, you have Josh McDowell coming out with his big book, you know, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And then he came out with his next book, More Evidence That Demands a Verdict. You have uh, Lee Strobel with his Case for Christ. All these things... You know, and they don't quite say it. I think in the best light possible, you could say that they're trying to demonstrate that the Bible, you know, if the Bible's true, then you would expect these things to be sure. True. The problem is the way they're written and and when you have, you know, kind of untrained um, minds, you can start thinking how this this determines whether the Bible is true. Right. Because if these things aren't true, then how can the Bible be true? Right. So once you crack that door open, you can start, and, and you will because of your bias, you'll start to build up a case to take the Bible down, uh, which denies the fact that the Bible is true in the first place. It's going to take some work, but we're going to do that today, of course, with Rent and Math Fund here on Theology Thursday. We'll be right back. I woke up this morning 
Welcome back at Steve Noble, the Steve Noble Show. Gosh, Steve, that's a depressing song. It is and it isn't. Uh, this is, and I'm going to jump back to Rent and Rathbun here in a second. It is Theology Thursday with our friends at uh, BJU Seminary and Bob Jones University itself, which is where Renton is leading the <clears throat> Center for a Biblical Worldview. But with that song, if you listen to the title or you listen to the lyrics, any of these songs that I put in here, I put in here for a reason. But this one, uh, because the reality is, listen, I love Jesus. I'm going to heaven when I die. I have a pretty well-developed biblical worldview. I do lots of Christian things. I'm on the radio. I'm on, uh, I teach, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but the brutality of life still is a part of my life. It's part of my family's life, disappointment and pain and heartache. And that's real. And, and, and I think it's helpful if we all just acknowledge that particular elephant in the room, that life is rough and, and it's not always a box of chocolates. And uh, we have brokenness in our homes and we have brokenness in our family. And, and I think the sooner we all get honest about that, uh, we love each other better. I think we love the Lord better that way and we love each other better. So that's why I put that one in there <clears throat> to acknowledge the fact that, yeah, we all can experience heartbreak. And many of you, including myself, probably experiencing it, some of it uh, right now, this day, this week. Um, but Jesus is close enough for all of that and powerful and all of that. So don't give up on hope. We're talking today about how science killed God. That's a really bad apologetic. And we're going to talk about Nietzsche's statement, which is God is dead, uh, with Renton Rathbun. And, and I, I mentioned a couple things at the beginning of the show, Renton. I mentioned 1859, the origin of the species. But the Enlightenment really is a bigger player before that. And I want to make sure people kind of understand what was going on with the Enlightenment. Uh, trigger warning here. All of our founding fathers were pretty well versed in the Enlightenment. These were Enlightenment mm. Christians, which is why it's kind of, the, the founding fathers are more like a casserole as opposed to one specific ingredient. They're a mixture of stuff. Right. Yeah, that's right. There's a lot that's of enlightenment right. thinking in our founding fathers. That's why you can get somebody like Jefferson that's going to say Jesus Christ is the, the most important influential moral teacher in the history of the world. <clears throat> There's lots of great philosophy and ethics in the Bible. Uh, he wasn't God's son. He didn't resurrect. Uh, yet, yet Thomas Jefferson called himself a Christian. Well, I could call myself a woman, but I'm not. And Thomas Jefferson, if you look at just an actual, what are the elements of a saving faith? He didn't have them. Yet he called himself a, Christ, a Christian, and he revered God's word, and he knew it fairly well. So the Enlightenment. Take us into the Enlightenment, because I want to make sure people understand, because Renton's asserting here today that when Frederick Nietzsche said God is dead, <clears throat> one of his implications was that we helped kill him, we being mm. Christians. And I think yeah. this is, in many ways, kind of true today, which is why you brought up evidence that demands a verdict and uh, the case for Christ and the case for faith and all those things. Let's go look at the natural world and say, okay, see, aha, there you go. There's some more evidence for God's existence. But go to the Enlightenment, because I think it really helps set up a good foundation on having this conversation. So the Enlightenment had a very important role because the Enlightenment was assuming that there was an objective grounding that you can stand on that puts everything at a distance so that you can judge it. So we use, you know, they use science that way. So testing, observation, um, you know, being able to t take these scientific models, put them into use, make predictions, see the testing, make more predictions, do more testing. That was the common ground. So as the Enlightenment continued, common ground began to be understood, not just in science, but in a place where we could distance ourselves from things. 
Um, it was called eventually the Archimedean point. So Archimedes was the guy known for saying, give me a lever long enough and a place to stand and I can move the world. Um, but that has to, you have to have a place to stand. So where are we standing so that we can go back, look back and judge something? And so Christians began to catch on to that and really have a strong desire to demonstrate the truth of the Bible. But it ended up the conversation turned from demonstration to determine. And they felt there was a neutral ground where I can turn around and make judgments about Scripture itself. But what were they standing on to make that that decision? Where where were they? How did they distance themselves from the Bible? And that's where Nietzsche in the gay science says, you know, we have killed God. And he's talking to unbelievers, but I think he has believers in mind, too, where he says he's dead under our knives. How have we unchained ourselves from the sun? We have no more sun. There's no more up. There's no more down. There's no more forward or backward because there's nothing keeping us oriented because we've tried to stand on something and we look and it's nothing. Right. We're standing on nothing to make these judgments. And what Nietzsche was saying is, yes, you finally figured it out. When you stand on this Archimedean point, when you stand to try and make a judgment about your God's own speech, you're standing with us on nothing. And that's what you need to realize. Yeah. And you mentioned science and obviously science in the last uh, two, three, four hundred years uh, has been a major player in philosophy and worldview and around not just here in America, but around the world. Uh, so science and, and, and objective grounding based on observation and testing, but also just reason in general mm -hmm. that, that we as human beings, <clears throat> that's why sometimes they would refer to the natural law, which was a head nod to God, that there was a moral law, but it shows up in nature. And then the question becomes, well, then we knew, use nature to validate the claim that God is the God of nature. And then reason. Mm -hmm. We're reasonable person, people. That's why the founding fathers, you got to give them a lot of credit because they were brilliant. They were great students of philosophy. They were great students of history. They were incredibly brilliant people. Uh, but not all of them were, were, were born-again, Bible-thumping Christians. Uh, mm -hmm. But they had this interesting blend. But the Enlightenment also kind of looked in the mirror. You know, you're like, and you kind of tug on your shirt, and you get your tie uh, nice and tight, and you're, yeah, <clears throat> we're pretty impressive. It's a little <laughs> Tower yeah. of Babelish. Uh, but that was the Enlightenment as well. It's just reason. So now our thinking and our mental capacity and our scientific knowledge can then be used. Is that a demonstration of God? Or are we actually trying to say now we got to prove God exists by using these other things? And and that's yeah. where the problem is, right? Because you open the door. That's right. And and again, there's really good use for a lot of these proofs. Yeah. I mean, what we're what what a lot of people are struggling with are some kind of um, structure, argumentative structures that they have created up against the knowledge of God. And of course, scripture speaks of this. When someone, you know, develops an argument against the knowledge of God, we're supposed to tear them down. And that's, that's exactly what we're supposed to do. The question is, in tearing them down, tearing those structures down against the knowledge of God, are we then saying, therefore, because of this we can rely on scripture or are you using the power of scripture to tear it down? And those are two very different things. Yeah. And I think that's where we have to be careful <clears throat> because when you're always looking for something in the natural world to prove the supernatural, mm. you're, 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 you're working in the wrong direction. That's right. Uh, that's right. You know, I, I, I speak because I am 
okay, you get into all that philosophical thinking. But like with Nietzsche, and I'm going to spend the next segment really kind of unpacking this. Uh, you, you put this in, in our notes today. His argument is not for believers in God, nor is an argument against God's existence. It's for secularists who already reject God. Okay. Problem. They have rejected God, but still hold to Judeo-Christian values, which require belief in God. Oops. So that's a problem. Yeah, that's uh, right. When we start, and this is an age-old argument between us and somebody claiming to be a, a, an atheist who says, well, sure, there can be a morality, so to speak, but it doesn't have to come from anything. We can make it up on our own. And then we have a problem there. So we'll continue to talk about Nietzsche. And then what are the lessons for us as Christians from this conversation in the deep in the pool today? We'll be right back. Welcome back. It's Steve Noble, the Steve Noble Show Theology Thursday, as it is each week with our friends at BJU Seminary. And today, Bob Jones University, Dr. Ren Rathbun back with us, who's the head of the Center for Biblical Worldview down at BJU. Uh, hey, I want, uh, before we dive back into Nietzsche here and talking about God is dead and then lessons for Christians, we'll finish that up with the fourth segment. Tell us about what's going on this summer down there. You were talking about uh, we're playing the ads for camp, and I know you were talking about that at the homeschool convention, but uh, let's, let's take advantage of this opportunity to, to share with everybody what's going on this summer, the camp, and specifically what you're doing. Awesome. Thank you. Yes. You're welcome, uh, of course. J- July 9th, um, we start our week of camp, uh, and it's called Biblical Worldview Camp. Now, that doesn't sound too uh, exciting, not as exciting as, <laughs> you know, flying an airplane or whatever. But we got some really cool stuff we're doing. What we do is we go out into the community. We talk to um, to professionals in their field, uh, whether it be artists or politicians, and we we talk to them. We go and look at stuff that we don't agree with. We go to a planetarium where they start talking about evolution and, and go deep into that stuff. And then we have a time where we say, well, how does this how does this clash with a biblical worldview? How are we? How do we talk about a biblical worldview? And it's it's a really great way to look at things that we may not agree with, look at things that we do agree with, but then see what the Bible actually says about it, and it actually surprises a lot of the kids, and they always love it. We even go to a play, and you know they're allowed to enjoy the t- play for for a few minutes, but then they got to actually have to analyze it yeah. and then we you know tear it apart of course yeah of course well i mean and, and that's where again you have to that's one thing to build a biblical worldview it's quite another to exercise one yeah and that's where you have to dive into the culture the everyday life that we're all in and say because uh, i think most of the time we just kind of go through the day we consume uh, media news entertainment whatever and don't really mm-hmm. stop and consider what am i being fed Yes, that's exactly right. Jenny, go to a restaurant, and we don't really worry about it unless there's some, unless there's like they have a, a 72 sanitation rating. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> uh, okay, that's a problem. Or you're going to go to Chipotle, and they just had a recall of lettuce because of uh, E. coli or whatever. <laughs> right. And then you're worried about what you're consuming, but most of the time I don't think we're, we're thinking about it, which is what I talk about a lot and did at the homeschool convention. It's kind of that that operating system that's being built under the under the surface in all of our kids as they just live life between kindergarten and twelfth grade. What ages uh, come to Educamp, specifically the biblical worldview camp, and they stay there on campus, right? Yes, that's right. Um, so it's uh, any age from um, from junior high to high school, and um, they stay right on campus. And we start, and like you said, what we do is we start exercising that muscle in their brain 
that starts to dissect, analyze, and place against scripture at all times. And I, you know, I always have kids walking away saying, you know, you've ruined every song I've ever listened to, <laughs> every movie I'm ever going to watch. And then we know we've done our job. Yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> they, they, you have to, you have to remove the uh, scales from their eyes. And That's then they right. can see, like I, I say this in most of my classes uh, every every week, is, hey, just remember, you guys, everybody's selling you. Mm, that is so true. There's nobody nobody on this planet's purely objective, and everybody's right. selling you. So yeah. you need to understand that so that you're not a sucker. Mm, that's <laughs> right. there's one born it, every minute. When it comes to media, everything is by choice. Nothing is by chance. And so you have to analyze those choices. Exactly. Such a great point. I just put links up on Facebook Live as well as on Rumble to get to uh, specifically to the biblical worldview uh, camp information at the EduCamp this summer. So that's there. If you go to uh, educamp.bju-edu, okay, just educamp, E-D-U-C-A-M-P, dot B-J-U, Dot edu, you're going to land there. Or just look it up. If you just Google EduCamp BJU, you're going to find it. You're going to land right on the right page, and you'll see the biblical worldview there, and you can click on that uh, and go speak, uh, go spend the week, 6th through 12th grade, with Renton, which would be a very much worth it. Uh, it's only 400 bucks if you stay overnight for the overnight camp and $300 a day camp if you live locally. That's really, really cheap. For a, for a camp like this in the summer, so that's an yeah. awesome opportunity. So that's great. I'm so glad you guys are doing that. Okay, back mm-hmm. to Nietzsche. Uh, so let's talk about uh, just kind of this whole notion of morality. They've rejected God, but they still hold on to Judeo-Christian values because most people are operating, especially here in the West, most people are operating out of a Judeo-Christian ethic, but they deny that it exists in the first place or that that's at least the source of it. So let's let's dig yes. into that a little bit because I want to make sure we understand that. Yeah, so in in the gay science, he talks about how the madman comes in and says, God is dead, we have killed him. He he even talks about how um, God, you know, God is decomposing, that even deities decompose, you know. And so what does that mean? Well, that means the decomposition, the part that stinks, is the part that even though God's dead, you have these unbelievers that are still holding on to these values, Mm -hmm. You know, there somehow, even though most, you know, a lot of Americans, especially in the Democratic side of things, might reject the God of the Bible, they still might think that what Biden is doing is bad. They still might think that, you know, there are some morals that we as a nation have to hold to. But where is that coming from? And Nietzsche would say, you're getting that from them. You need to get rid of that. Get the stink out and and be able to to understand that nothing means anything. Now, I say that to say that's just one step for Nietzsche, and he believes that many people will just realize that there is no meaning in this world, and that will be good enough. And he says, those are the weak people. Mm-hmm. So then we have, after the Enlightenment, you know, with the modern age, then we have what was called the postmodern age, where everyone kind of embraced that there is no meaning in this world. I mean, if you listen to... Um, Jim Carrey's interview about how this desire that everything has to mean something is this thing that people have for deities, you know, and so they make up deities so something will mean something, but really we need to let that go and all that sort of thing. Nietzsche would consider him weak because he's, and and not, he's not really saying that's bad. It's just, we need weak people in the world because, you know, and so they would embrace it. (laughs) Yeah. But Nietzsche said there's there's a certain level of p- people who are what he would call an ubermensch 
or uh, Overman or Superman. And the Superman is someone that realizes that there there is no meaning, but then has the ultimate power within themselves to create their own values, to create what he would even say if he were alive today, meaning. That's where we're getting people that all believe that it, their own they're their own right. ubermenches walking well, around yeah. saying you 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 follow your authentic self. Yes, you do you, Renton, and I'll do me. And yes. so we have all these people with these individual realities that yes. they've created for themselves. And, and when that's and when you get down that road, what you end up in is a carnival of chaos. That's what you mean, yes, which is what we see. That's right. Yeah, you're exactly right. And we as Judeo-Christian thinkers are thinking, well, that's crazy. There's only one reality. But Nietzsche would say, no, this idea of there's one reality is a Judeo-Christian idea. That's part of the stink of the death of God. You need to get rid of that. You can create your own meaning and therefore have your own reality. And isn't that exactly what Satan was selling in the garden? Yes. Yeah, it's all old. And you're exactly right. Did God really say that you can't eat of any of these trees? Of course he doesn't want you to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil because you need to be like God. That's right. And he's so petty. He doesn't want you like that. But you, hey, Renton, you're a superstar, baby. You're an (laughs) ubermensch. So you should be creating your own reality. You don't need to bow down to some narcissistic old man in the sky. You need yeah. to do you, baby, and that's a beautiful thing. That's right. I mean, he was really selling Eve on nihilism, saying you can stand on nothing and be able to look back at the command of God and say he's not being fair to me because fairness is over here and we can make that decision for God. Mm. Yeah, and you see that, I mean, obviously this is, I think this is the standard operating system of the unbelieving world worldwide mm-hmm. but especially here in the western civilization portion of the of the globe and especially here in America uh that, that that's it now ultimately isn't that just idolatry we just don't want to bend the knee that's right yeah and 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 even in the in the gay science when he's talking about the death of god he says who are we to be able to kill god are is this deed not too great for us should we not become god so that we may appear worthy of this deed I mean, you know, you think about those words and what he's really getting at is if you want to be, you know, weak, you can just accept that none of this means anything. But if you want to be strong, you actually have to become God. And and who is God? Well, it's the highest level of whoever's thinking. Yeah. And if we're the highest level of whoever's thinking, then we are the trendsetters right. of what value is and well, what meaning is. Imagine the... Uh, uber injection of pride uh with if you can get the whole nation to come alongside with you to say okay sorry i was wrong a man actually can have a menstrual cycle and a man actually can have a baby now if Hmm. that doesn't puff you up i don't know what would and then there you go now you're the uber mensch and i just brought the whole world around to my way of seeing it and to you nietzsche would say well done I'll be right back. Yes. (laughs) Hey, friends, it's Steve Noble. I want you to send a text 
Just text the word DOSE, D-O-S-E, to 66866. That's the word DOSE to 66866, and that'll get you on the email list for my daily DOSE devotionals. Right now, we are in the book of Colossians. After that, I'm going to do 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, hard-hitting, straight to the point, lots of application in the usual Steve Noble style. So I hope you'll jump on the list for your daily DOSE and help get your day off to a great start. Back at Steve Noble, the Steve Noble Show Theology Thursday with our friends at Bob Jones University, BJU Seminary, Dr. Renton Rathman with us today, uh, working through this kind of whole notion that Nietzsche said uh, God's dead, and uh, pretty much everybody's been involved in that. It's kind of like the, the ultimate galactic game of Clue. So God's dead, we killed him with the candlestick in the parlor. And so we've been talking about that and whether it's science or, or the enlightenment uh, reason that we think we can figure things out. So then we detach ourselves from God and then we look back at him and we judge him uh, and his worthiness. And, and then so there's a lot to talk about in this subject, but I want to land uh, today. Renton, and thanks for being here and, and taking us into this uh, deep water, which is great. It's a great intellectual and theological exercise, which we all need. But but what lessons do we take away from this? And I, And again, I know this is. Uh, kind of high-minded uh, conversation that we're having, uh, to the best of my ability. But what, what's the what's the takeaway? What what are the lessons that we can learn from all of this? Mm. So the lesson, the the main lesson that I think is the most important lesson we can learn is the lesson um, that you talked about at the very beginning is how much of the door you're going to open, and it comes down to this: the minute that you believe that you can stand in objective distance, where you can judge God's word, the speech of God himself, and decide, and what uh, C.S. Lewis called as putting God in the dock, or making the Bible, put the Bible on trial, and you think you can stand distant from the Bible in order to try it, you have, you have fallen into the snare of, of Satan that has regenerated itself through hundreds and maybe thousands of different philosophers, one of which being Nietzsche, that we need to really believe that God's word is powerful enough to be the interpreter of the world because it is God's speech and there's nowhere to stand in order to judge it. And so that's the first, I think that's the first and most important rule that we can learn from this. Yeah. Is that, is that a little bit of the, who is the clay to judge the potter? Yes. Romans nine. And you just got to kind of, and I know that's a, the philosopher would say, well, Steve, that's your presupposition and you're just doing circular reasoning. Uh, Okay, fine. I'm not going to take a whole lot of advice from an unbeliever, even if they're smart uh, because they lack spiritual discernment because spiritual truths are spiritually discerned. So, so I know that, but that, that's, we have to, I think we have to, every once in a while I'll, I'll struggle with a little doubt here and there. It doesn't happen very often, but occasionally. And for me as a Christian, it, I always engage my intellect because I find that my faith, because I believe that the word is true, that God is real. He's certainly not dead. And so intellectually I can unpack that. And then I see it bearing out in the, in the realities of the world that he created. And mm-hmm. then it all just makes sense. And that's why yeah. I say, if you have a strong operational biblical worldview, which is what you and I are both trying to help our students develop, it's like getting the secret decoder ring. So yeah. when you watch what's happening in the news, you're like, duh. <laughs> I mean, of yeah. course. That's Whether you're right. talking about history, philosophy, whatever, it all makes a lot of sense. But I think we have to be careful that you got to make sure that, that it, it's as settled for you as it can be. Do you uh, – the guy that did the Truth Project, 
had a line in that, which is an excellent kind of biblical worldview development program uh, <clears throat> that Focus on the Family put together years ago. Adele Tackett is his name. And he said, do you believe that what you say you believe is really real? Mm. Yeah. And you said, well, right. is that a limerick? No. Do you believe that what you say you believe <laughs> is really real? Yeah. And then that becomes the foundation. And then everything That's else, right. you use that to judge everything else. You don't use everything else to judge that. That's right. And I think that's, that's, that's the fight. That's right. I mean, we are in a reality war, and everyone is bringing their own measuring stick to decide what reality is. Mm-hmm. And God's word, we cannot, we cannot step on someone else's measuring stick to say, see, even with your measuring stick, we can measure God's word, and maybe it will mm-hmm. fit, and maybe you'll like it, maybe it'll be more what you're looking for. And the minute we do that, we have opened the door. And and you're right. There, scripture becomes the interpreter of of our world. And if I could do a little plug for for what for what you've said that you do in ennoble ennoble you with uh, your history class of being able to take everything you're looking at and then relate it to what's going on today, as in what God's word says to it. It makes everything alive because you have the the tools you need to make those kinds yeah. of interpretational decisions. You become the Christian version of Neo. <laughs> yeah. So in the Matrix, which was a big uh, illusion, mm-hmm. Neo gets to the point where he can see it for what it is. What it is. So he doesn't see yeah. like you and me on the screen and what people see wherever they're listening to the show or the podcast. He sees the reality behind it, which in that case, yeah. because it's all a big computer simulation, is code, mm-hmm. meaning it's ones and zeros. Code. So all of a sudden, yeah. everything to him is ones and zeros because that's what's real. And all yeah. the other stuff is the packaging on the outside. It's an illusion. And so when that's I look right. at the world, it's kind of like seeing ones and zeros with a biblical worldview. And everything starts to make sense. That's right. That's right. And and even even when we're having these reality wars where people have, you know, strong cases for their reality, um, you know, the thing that we always act as if we're ashamed of, the thing that we think is the weakest is actually the most powerful thing we have, which is God's word. I mean, people say, well, I want to introduce God's word later because they don't believe that. Like, no, introduce it as soon as you can, because that's your nuclear weapon. You don't just start, you know, going to war with a stick. Why not start with the nuclear weapon? And we we are ashamed of it. And what's interesting about Romans one that tells us what our main problem is and what what it all leads to. It starts, you know, at the very beginning of Romans one is, you know, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That's good. And that is that should be at the heart of every apologist. You know, saying that over and over, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Yeah, because, because I we think, t- well, that's really helpful and it's convicting to me because sometimes I'll adjust how I talk to an unbeliever because I'm like, well, the Bible holds no authority for them. Yeah. That doesn't mean the Bible holds no authority. <laughs> that's right. And God's word never comes back void. That's and right. I think when we, I, I actually think you undercut your own argument when you overthink it and say, well, I'm not going to appeal to scripture because for them, it's not a source of authority. Well, and that now we're falling into the trap that we've been talking about the whole hour. That's right. You're working in the wrong direction. You go, well, whether you like it or not, whether you tease me or not, this is the ultimate Mm -hmm. source of authority. And so by, 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 by willingness to wield it unapologetically, Mm -hmm. I'm showing you, I'm demonstrating for you 
where my foundation is. Yeah. And I think for and a lot of people, like, wow, you really believe that thing. Yeah. Well, wouldn't you That's if right. it's true? <laughs> yeah. You're not going to go jump I, off a 30-story building because you know for a fact that you're going to fall to your death. You know it to be true. And so you mm. operate out of that. The Bible is true. I operate out of that. That's right. Just like gravity. And, and when they see that, you know, many of them have never read, really read it. They've no, seen no, yeah. s- stuff on, on Reddit, but they've never <laughs> read it. Right. And so they, and so when you give them a little piece of it, they'll, th- they'll have a lot of questions about it. Yeah. It will intrigue them. Now, oftentimes, and I love that word intrigue, oftentimes I'll say, uh, all right, here's, what, here's, here's the position that, that God takes in the Bible. Now let's go, let's take a drive out of there and go look at what's, the re, what's happening in the world or go look at social sciences. Because what you're going to mm. find with the destruction of the family uh, is prisons full of men who had no father. Mm-hmm. Well, how did that happen? Uh, yeah. I can explain, I can explain yeah. that to you. And, so that, and, that, and that's where it's kind of working in concert. But again, uh, we don't go to the world to pr- prove the word. The word proves itself. It is true. And then we use yeah. that to deal with the world. That's right. And isn't it interesting that someone's relationship with their father always affects them profoundly, whether it's a good, bad, so or or whatever relationship, or, it, it or affects them profoundly. Yes. And so then the question is, why is that? Why is it that we have so many people in, in prison who had a bad relationship with their father or had no father? Why is that? principle seems to be keeps rearing its head and what's great is that one demonstration of god's word being true is that the ultimate relation that never began is between father and son Mm -hmm. god has always been father christ has always been son there was never a time where they became those things which means that's going to be the ultimate relationship on earth as well yeah it's central to reality and when you walk away from reality back to romans one you suppress that truth and you replace it with a lie there's always a price to be paid that's right always yeah sometimes it's society-wide sometimes it's your family sometimes it's your marriage sometimes it's your kids sometimes it's just and i could speak to this we all could speak to this sometimes it's just the the guilt and shame you experience in a room by yourself Mm -hmm. but there's always a price to be paid that's right. And if we're, and, and, you know, as, as you, your original question was, what are the lessons we're learning? You know, the other lesson is that we're not in a fact war. Mm-hmm. We're in a reality war. And the fact war would be this going back and forth with, with, you know, well, what about, you know, these facts about evolution? Well, what about these facts of Genesis one? And, and those are important to talk about because some t- people use those as barriers, but that's not the real war. Those yeah. are little battles to get a conversation going. Right. The real war is, is the reality of God's word being the authority. I think that's the big war that we're facing even in the church. Oh, yeah. Where people love the Bible and they respect it, but they don't see it as their ultimate authority. Yeah. And I think even at universities and, and places of, of learning, People love the Bible where it is, but they don't want to invade it in their classroom. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit of a uh, inconvenience at that yes. point. Uh, Renton, always great to have you on. Thank you so much for sharing, as always. Renton Rathbun at Bob Jones University. EduCamp, you can go check that out. Just Google it EduCamp Biblical Worldview. You'll find it, and you can join Renton. Have your son, daughter, grandson, granddaughter join him the week of July 9th. What an incredible opportunity. This is Steve Noble and the Steve Noble Show. God willing, I'll talk to you again real soon. And like my dad always used to say, ever forward.
another program powered by the Truth Network.